So, hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4. I got a lot of uh, several scriptures for you today, but uh, I want to uh, begin this series as a really a preparation uh, for that day one event. Um, God is moving in our nation. He is moving in a powerful way in our nation. Uh, there are gatherings happening, supernatural gatherings. I heard a story that in California, uh, uh, one man is scheduling 10 stadium events in one day this spring in California, gatherings of believers in California. Right now, uh, there is a, a, a very popular movie that doesn't come out of Hollywood. People are amazed at how many people are going to see this movie called Jesus Revolution, right? 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 And, which is told the story of the Jesus movement and how one hippie named Lonnie Frisbee was used by God to change the world. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for all that God is doing on college campuses people getting baptized in fountains on, on their campuses and, and uh, people testifying of many people coming to Christ in this moment. But I want you to know this. To borrow the title from the movie, every Jesus revolution is followed by a Jesus movement. Like, it's not a good enough for us to say, wow, I remember when and fill in the blank of whatever revival was going on. I remember when, yes, in 93, when God radically turned Lakeland, Florida on its head, and thousands of people came from around the world to be a part of a revival at Carpenter's Home Church. My whole family's life got radically changed by Jesus in 93. And another outpouring started in, in Toronto, at a place that's now called Catch the Fire. A few years later, Brownsville Assembly of God. Well, listen, none of that means anything if all you're saying is, I remember when. Oh, but if you experience God, if you experience the wind, if you experience the movement, if you experience the revolution, you'll be a part of God's grand plan, which is this. It's not just to have good services. It's not so you'll improve church attendance. It's so you'll participate in the radical advancement of the kingdom of God. We've been on the sideline too long. And this is the hour, the great hour, where God is saying, I'm, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy. Oh, I hope that makes you nervous. You ought to be a little bit nervous. Especially if God says he's going to do it. Then if you get aligned with his heart, you'll probably end up doing it. You're going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You're going to cast out devils. Freely you've received. Freely you're going to give. The dead will be raised. Listen, church, if you're not a little nervous about what God is calling you to, I don't even know if you know what God is calling you to. But it starts, listen, it starts in simplicity. It's not complex. I want to start, we're going to do a series kind of over the next few weeks called Real Revival. And it leads to these elements that Jesus points out that he wants to use 
in this Jesus movement where we literally become part of the expression of God's heart. And today, I want to start by sharing the first message in this Real Revival series, subtitled, Real Fishermen. Real Fishermen. Now, uh, if you're uh, from Florida, you know, if you're a, 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 a freshwater fisherman, you know what I'm about to say you don't want anybody else to know, but I'm going to let the, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling everybody. Right now is the best time to go fishing. Right now. This time of the year, you are more likely to catch a trophy bass than any other time. They're spawning, the females are out, it's incredible, water's warming up. It is the time to go fishing. And I want to tell you, I, there's a, there is a spiritual truth to learn to that, that there are seasons where in the spirit we go fishing and we see the trophies of God arrive, which, by the way, are people changed by his love, people changed by the gospel. People changed by the message of forgiveness through faith in Christ. Now, you say, why are you talking about fishing? Because evidently, Jesus wants us to learn something from fishermen. You remember when he was calling his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, he says, he says and Jesus, walking by the sea... The Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. By the way, there's, this, this passage actually describes two kinds of nets. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. That's a different kind of net, by the way. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, that just, just in, in practical reasons, you know, the, the first net is a smaller net, similar to a modern cast net that you generally use in shallower water. The nets that were mended, they were actually over 300 feet in length. They would, they would extend about eight feet down, and they would require multiple boats to be in use, and usually those were used overnight, and then they would actually launch those out into the deep and then bring those in. So there were, there were, there were these two kinds of, uh, of fishing that were going on. But here is the part that I find very profound. Within the group of men that Jesus called, I personally believe there were seven professional fishermen. Seven professional fishermen. You say, why, why do you believe that? Uh, well, John 21, 2 says, Simon Peter, this is after the cross and resurrection, and all of the, the disciples are scattered. Notice what happens here. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that's two more, and two others of the disciples were together, seven of them. 
Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. How many of them? Seven. Now, I've got to ask, of all the professions in the world, why did Jesus load the disciples with professional fishermen? It begs the question. I mean, after all, there's scribes, there's Pharisees, people who, who have been charged with memorizing the first five books of the Bible entirely. And no, Jesus doesn't add those to his list. He gets seven, I believe, seven professional fishermen. Could it be that there is something that those professional fishermen innately knew connected to their jobs that Jesus wants us to know that we can apply to the kingdom? That's what I believe. That there was something that they were doing. That's why he comes to them and he says, I will follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Hey, this is really good news. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Aren't you glad you don't have to make yourself in the kingdom? But you can actually put yourself in the hands of Jesus and he will make you something that you're not? Oh, by the way, Here's the thing, that's why we have to embrace change in the kingdom. Because when we come to him, we don't possess everything we need, nor are we the people that we will be when he gets his hands on us. He says, listen, I will make you if you let me. I will make you fishers of men. I'll take some of the things that you already know innately about your profession, and I'll attribute them to something that is way more valuable, the kingdom of God. So, Today, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to help you to become real fishermen. We're going to learn how to be real fishermen because if, if God's calling fishermen, I want to be a part, a part of those people who are called by God, who understand that there are some principles that we need to lay hold of. All right? Now, listen. If you prefer deep theological discourse, this is not the message for you. If you like simple that you can understand and profoundly this may impact the way you live your life, this is definitely the message for you. All right, here we go. You're going to be a real fisherman? Here's point number one. Here's point number one. It's real deep. Use bait. Use bait. Now, in the kingdom, it's really important that you know what bait is. This is the part you need to write down. Because I can promise you at some point in this message, you're going to have to confront fear. Any fathers ever take their small kids fishing and they wouldn't bait their hook because they were afraid to touch the bait? What I'm about to say to you, most of the church is afraid to touch the bait. Here's what the bait is. You should write this down. It is any story about the goodness of God. If you're going to become a real kingdom fisherman, it will be because you use bait. And that bait is any story 
about the goodness of God. Could be your story, could be something you've heard from someone else, but you've got to use bait. Now, there is an attractionary uh, experience associated with hearing about the goodness of God. That attractionary spirit experience is this. It goes along with bait. Taste. There's a taste. For years uh, in, in, in fishing, this has been going on. Now, if you're not a fisherman here, you're about to get an education. So years ago, it was only live bait. Now they have artificial bait but they improved artificial bait. How? By adding salt and garlic. Oh, some women don't know. Listen, listen, y'all think we just go fishing and we're just like out there smelling like grubs. When we open up those plastic worms marked salt and garlic, man, it's like taking in the fresh smell of a ribeye steak. I mean, salt and garlic, okay? I mean, so much so that if they are infused with salt and garlic, you, uh, oh yeah, that'll work. That'll work. <laughs> now, a couple months ago, um, you know, uh, it was actually over Thanksgiving time. You know, I t uh, we went with my our, our family to Mississippi to my wife's dad's place. Uh, we affectionately call him Big Daddy. Not because he's big, I guess it's because he is the patriarch of the family, and so uh, and so um, we we go there and we we hunt, and uh, hunting was kind of slow. It's full moon, wasn't that good? And uh, and I said, hey hey boys, uh, I said let's go down and, and fish in the middle of the day. Let's just go down and fish in the middle of the day. And they're like, ah, oh, I don't know, Dad. I'm like, listen, we'll see. Big Daddy's got some rods, and I I saw. I saw he's got some stuff. I said, I don't know what he has, but let's just go check it out. Come on. You know, and I, they had gotten up early and not real motivated. Well, I went in there and I opened his tackle box and sure enough, he had salt and garlic. I'm like, boys, it's on. It's on. Like, what are you talking about? I said, trust me, y'all try whatever y'all want. I'm going with salt and garlic. And I, I walked down there and, and, and one of my sons was, Throwing the throwing the bait in the water, no luck. And I'm I'm saying, hey, well, you know, just work it around the side there, you know. And I I took my rod over, and it was either the first or the second cast. Second cast, I cast it, and then I hook I hook up, and then, you know, I, I think I think we have a picture of what happened next. Yeah, second, second cast. Yeah, that was pretty good. Not a bad morning. I quit after that cast. <laughs> Why keep fishing? And, uh, and so my, my, my oldest son, he was like, Dad, what bait are you using? I'm like, you, you use whatever you want. Use what? No, no, no. What bait were you using? I said, oh, I was using the salt and garlic. Put on that bait, and he said, "All right, yeah. Well, uh, nobody else is catching anything over that 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 lake." He went to like I'm telling you, it looked like a mud puddle. They had this pond looked like a mud puddle. You wouldn't purposefully go there. I mean, and he even asked, he said, "Big Daddy, Big Daddy, are there any fish in that in this other little pond over here?" 
He goes, yeah, yeah, we stocked it, but nobody ever fishes it. He said, I'll, I'll go over there. Takes his salt and garlic over there. And you won't believe what happened. That's a good day. Worship is my warfare. Come on. That's prophetic. Now, uh, needless to say, my youngest son, Asher, uh, uh, really so encouraged by the events, actually became, he was, got super interested in fishing. We fished a lot while we were there and hunted and, and all the rest. Uh, but he came back and he, man, he just went on this tear of fishing, right? On this tear of fishing. But one day he came to me and he's like, Dad, I need you to go to Walmart. I'm like, okay, for what? I need you to get me some little smokies. I'm like, the sausages? I was like, for what? He goes, bait. I'm like, I said, you're going to use a little sausage for bait. I said, where? He said, Wallace Brooks, which is the park right downtown Inverness. If you know anything about that, that is where some of Citrus County goes to bathe. I bless you with that truth, all right? <laughs> They're down there splashing, making all kinds of noise and racket. I said, you're going where? Wallace Brooks. Fishing with what? Little Smokies. I'm like, brother, you would be better off eating the sausages. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, that day it got a little overcast and it, it kind of started to sprinkle and rain. And, and while it was sprinkling, he put on a little smoky, goes out there and doesn't cast it, just drops it. And then this happens. That's what he sends me. And I'm like, man, I don't know what you stumbled on to here. Now, you say, what does that have to do with using bait? Here's the thing. Most of us think, Pastor Otis, man, you've got a story about God's goodness. That bait will work. But my story, my story won't work. My, my experience with God won't work. My own, listen to me. You need to tell either your story or any story about God's goodness. And it will awaken a hunger in the hearer. You see, tasting is that attractionary spirit that God kind of, kind of invites people into. That's why Psalm 34, verse 8, you guys know it well, right? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not smell and see, not look at, don't, not just listen. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So listen, if you're going to be a real fisherman, really revived, you've got to start telling the story of God's goodness in your life. Now, 
Which leads me to my second point. Real fishermen, they put their bait in the water. That's another really deep truth. They put their bait in the water. I've heard it said many times, you can't catch them from the couch. You say, what does it mean to put your bait, this story of God's goodness in the water? Here's what it means. Learn to tell your story. There's a process that you go through to get to the point where you're actually putting the bait in the water, where, where you're saying, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to engage in this process. And for us in the church, there is a, a, a process of learning to tell the story. You need to learn to tell your story. If somebody ever said to me, hey, that was shocking, I said, not more shocking the night, the night God struck me with lightning. They're going to go, what? Yeah, I was sitting in a restaurant, and the power of God fell on me, and I looked as if God had struck me with lightning that night. And every night since then, God has changed my life, made me his, and if you want to experience that same thing, you can. But you got to learn to tell your story. You can't just say, okay, God. All right, I believe you're good. And I believe in the power of your goodness to draw them into repentance. No, I've got to learn to tell a story. Most of us have a story of God's goodness, but few of us are telling those stories. That's the fact. Few of us are telling those stories of God's goodness. How do I know? It's because of, you know, maybe it's not as much in this service, but there's empty chairs around you. And if we were busy using the bait and actually putting it in the water of learning to tell our story, there would be more people entering into the kingdom of God, more people experiencing Christ, more people experience the transformative power of God. Now, uh, do you guys remember the story of the demoniac? This guy was crazy. He had, he had a legion of demons. And you remember his story, nobody could tame him. They would chain him. He would break the chains. He would cut himself with rocks. He would, he, literally, no one could tame him. He'd be up screaming all night, no matter how many letters the HOA sent him. He lived among tombs. This guy was out of his mind. Jesus rolls up on the shore. He runs down to the shore. He says, have you come to torment us? Jesus then casts those demons out of the man. He gets gloriously delivered. No one in the region is afraid of the guy who's cutting himself, howling at the moon, and living in tombs naked. But as soon as the guy is in his right mind and clothed and ready to follow Jesus, everybody's terrified. Read your Bible. That's, that's the fact. Now, this guy gets so transformed by Jesus, he just says, I see there's 12 of y'all in the boat. Move over. 13th disciple, I'm coming in. That's what he says. He said, I'm going with you. I'm set free. I got this story of God's goodness. I'm going with you, Jesus. And notice what Jesus says to this man. In Mark 5, 19, he said, 
Jesus did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Go home and tell your friends. Come on, we tell, talk to our friends about everything. Men, we talk to our, our friends about sports. You can quote stats that are so meaningless. But then as soon as I say, hey, go tell somebody about God's goodness. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I would say this, don't give in to that spirit of fear. God didn't give you that. God will give you the Holy Spirit, which will bring you boldness, and you'll know the power of God, the love of God, and right thinking that comes from a sound mind. So this man gets delivered. God says, go and tell. Learn to tell your story. He did in 10 cities, a place called Decapolis, became the, the, an evangelist in the region, this man who was delivered. now. You say, why are you telling that story? Because I have a story about an employee who was working for me years ago, not at the church, and, and she was working for me, and I'm just telling stories about God's goodness. I look at this, this young lady, and I said, hey, uh, do you go to church? She goes, oh, yeah, I've been to church my whole life. I said, really? And I, I, I said to her, you know, and I just began to talk to her, and, I, and then she suddenly began to tell me all about this boyfriend that she had. And, you know, they're going out and they're partying, they're doing everything that culture says that couples ought to do when they're young and in their early 20s. And I said, well, hey, is your boyfriend a believer? Because she said she was a believer. And she goes, oh, no, uh, no, he isn't. I was like, wait a minute. I said, you know, the scripture tells us not to do that. Let me say it to you plainly, church, if you're being discipled right now. It forbids it. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's what, that's what the scripture says. There's grace, but that's what the scripture says. So, now. I tell this girl, girl, are you keeping this guy from your parents? She says, yeah, they don't know about him. No way. She comes from, she was a Puerto Rican. They came from a very, very strict religious background. And I said, you need to be careful. You're opening a door to Satan, for Satan to work in your life. A couple weeks later, I was living uh, with, with my roommate at the time. Uh, his name was Rory. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Both of our doors were open. So, I mean, we lived, man, we were really, we were in a posh community, let me tell you. Uh, our, our little duplex, we, we kept our doors open, so if somebody broke into the other one's room, the other one could escape, okay? That's why we, we would hear the commotion and we could run away. Um, so <laughs> our doors were open, uh, and I, I remember this like yesterday, 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, just, and he, I hear his voice from across the hall, and he says, he says, Adi. I said, yeah, 
He said, God just woke me up. I said, me too. He said, something's about to happen. And the phone rang. And on the line was the best friend of the girl who worked for me. And she, they're like, she's like, I, we need your help. I said, she is being demonically attacked. I said, what do you mean by that? And she began to describe what was going on. And we said, we'll be right there. We leave. Her best friend, by the way, pastor's daughter, and had been lying and deceiving her parents about everything that she was involved in, including relationships, including drinking, including going to the club, had been keeping this a secret. When we got there, it was everything, listen to me, it was everything you've ever seen in a movie. To the point where she would come to her senses, look me in the eye. This is a girl who worked for me that I hired. She looked me in the eyes and she said, I can hear his voice. He said, if he puts me to sleep, he's going to kill me. And I would watch her lose consciousness right in front of me. And we'd had to take authority over that satanic, this satanic attack. Now, I knew we bound this thing and we saw a measure of freedom, but we knew there was something else. And it turned out there was. Both of these girls needed to confess what they had been hiding to their parents. We take them over there. Uh, it was a, it's one of the greatest stories ever. I won't tell the whole thing, but uh, this, this Spanish pastor comes down the steps. I'll never forget the sound of it. In nombre de Jesus, you know? And there are this little four foot seven Puerto Rican employee of mine, you know, she's right there. And, uh, and I saw things come out of this girl. It would cause your head to spin. Now listen, it didn't mean all of that was like, man, I'm just reading the Bible and I'm living it out. You know what the weird part for me was? Started at 2 a.m. At 6 a.m., we're all sitting around the kitchen table sipping coffee like nothing just happened. <laughs> She's delivered and free. She gets delivered. And the first thing I think of is, uh, uh, no, you, you can't call in sick today. You're healed. You're, you're going to work. <laughs> you say, why are you telling that story? Because anytime anyone has ever come to me and said, man, I feel like there's something spiritual going on in my life. Here's what I know. I know that in the name of Jesus, demons bow and they flee and they run. And there is authority in Christ Jesus to set the captives free. But it doesn't, listen, it doesn't get released unless you open your mouth and tell the story. I know I'm telling this story today because somebody in here has been tolerating a level of demonic activity in your life and it's time that you put your foot down and get a born-again backbone and say, not in my house, not in my family, not in my neighborhood, in the name of Jesus. Satan, take your hand off of them. Get out of my house. Get out of my marriage. Get off of my street. You got to learn to tell your story. You got to learn to tell your story. And I got to tell you, this isn't about cramming religion down people's throat. It's simply telling the story of God's goodness.
and what he what he really does in lives who follow him. Now let me give you this last one. Real fishermen fish where the fish are. If you put your bait in a swimming pool, you're not going to catch anything. You do know what the swimming pool is, right? Church. Just in your little Christian groups, in our life groups. Like, oh, I tell my story. But you're only telling it to other believers. You actually have to go learn to tell your story and start telling your story where? Out in the community. I know this is terrifying, but you might actually have to talk to people. You're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to tell the stories of, of God's goodness. Talk to them like they already know. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. By the way, I'm not telling you not to tell your story in, in our life groups or at church. I think you ought to do that. There's real benefit to that, of the encouragement that comes from sharing the story of God's saving, transforming, delivering work in your life. You ought to do that. It's a good place to kind of sharpen your story. But that can't be the only place that you share the story of God's goodness. It needs to be on the ball field. It needs to be out you know, at the grocery store, you need it on your job, in your school. You have to put your bait where there are fish. Now, I want you to understand something that two times, well, Matthew 9, but also Luke 10, Jesus talks about this. And he says these words, which you probably already know, the harvest is truly great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. I send you out at like lambs among wolves. He says, the harvest is great. But he, he doesn't say go first. He says pray first. So part of the preparation to going where the people are is actually prayer. Now, here's the active part I want you to um, participate in right now. You should write this down or you can look it up on your phone. I'm giving you permission to pull out your phone. Just don't go on Instagram. You need to either launch a search for the app, Bless Every Home. You can go to blesseveryhome.com and find links for, you know, the, the strange people who still use Android. Just kidding. I'm sorry. And then, um, yeah, and then there's Apple. But um, bless every home is this. It is a evangelism prayer mapping app that will every day send you a message to pray for your neighbors. Here's how it works. Before we're ever going to have an influence in our neighborhoods, Jesus says we have to pray. I love this app because every morning it gives me a prayer to pray and a scripture to, but in, in addition to that, 
It gives me the names of my neighbors. And when I look at the map, it populates exactly where they live. You're like, oh, man, that's really creepy. No. No, listen. It's all public information. Here's why it's not creepy. I'm not okay with another uh, uh, teenager committing suicide in my neighborhood. And if I know them by name, I'm likely to do something that I, uh, I wouldn't do if I remained indifferent and at a distance. And when you begin to pray for your neighbors by name and ask the, and pray the prayers that are listed there every day when they come in, I, I would recommend 6 a.m. That's a good time for you to get a notification from, from Bless Every Home. Here's what it will say. Here's your prayer reminder to pray for your neighbors. You tap it. It immediately gives you the five neighbors, and if you hit the map after praying, you see exactly where they live, and they're all right around your house. It doesn't populate the whole city. It populates your neighborhood where you live. And we, church, listen to me. We, church, we need to take a step. We can't just say, oh, yeah, that's neat. Good idea for you, Pastor Otis. No, we all need to get on the same page. Why? Because there is a move of God. There is a, 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 a Jesus revolution that is going on. But there needs to be a Jesus movement where the people of God do what Jesus, that is, that we will pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest and then follow the instruction that comes behind it. Go. Don't wait on somebody else to pray for your neighbors and then think, okay, now I'll become a, a fisherman later. No, no, no. Notice what happened in the disciples. The disciples, what did they do? They left their nets immediately. It would have been enough in the scriptures if they had just simply said they left their nets. But the Holy Spirit included that word immediately. And there is an urgency to this gospel. There is so much, there's so much that's going on in our community right now that we are the answers for. The born-again family of God is the answer for much of the problems that are happening. But we have to be the ones who are motivated and who will go and say, we're going to pray. And here's what's going to happen. When you pray, God will open doors for you. When we see our neighbor Mary on the porch, Hey, Mary. She goes, hey. We say, we've been praying for you. She goes, what? You've been praying for me? Yeah. Why? Because God told me to. And I believe he's going to move in your life. Mary knows. My next door neighbor, Larry, oh, he really knows. He really knows. Here's why. He asked me to watch over his wife because he was going to the hospital to die. I stuck my head in the window of that car. I said, Larry, I don't know if you know me. I said, of course we would love on your wife if you left her behind. I said, but I serve a God who heals. And I stuck my head in that window and laid my hands on Larry, who was on 24 hours a day oxygen, and prayed for him in his driveway on the way to the ER. 
Less than a week later, here's Larry, no oxygen, walking up and down the street. And I saw him, and he shouted from his driveway, Hey, honest, those prayers worked! Use bait. Get your hook in the water. Learn to tell your story. And go where the fish are. Because God wants to make us real fishers of men. I want you to bow your head.